0: I'm Cecilia, the president of the Jacksonville Young Democrats,
1: and I'm Lynnae, the vice president of the Jacksonville Young Democrats.
0: Welcome to the first episode of our new series, Keeping It Local, where we interview local candidates and elected officials about the issues that matter. People familiar with
1: JYD know that our goal is to create opportunities for voters in Jacksonville to hear from their elected officials and candidates seeking office.
0: Due to COVID-19, we, like many, have had to change the way in which we operate. Instead of hosting in-person forums featuring candidates and elected officials, we've created this series. We hope this helps inform and engage listeners about local politics. Today's interview will be with Ben Marcus.
1: He is a first-time candidate running for State House District 16. This was a pre-recorded interview in which we covered a wide array of topics, such as money and politics, the education system, climate change, and
0: reproductive health. As mentioned before, this is the first of a series. We would love to hear your feedback. So let us know what you think and who you would like us to interview. All thoughts can be sent to our email jacksyundems at gmail.com that's j-a-x-y-o-u-n-g-d-e-m-s at gmail.com we hope you enjoy good morning ben Uh, this is our first interview in our new virtual candidate interview series so thank you so much for joining us today
2: absolutely thank you for having me
0: great
1: So historically, Jackson William Dems has hosted robust in-person candidate events, but due to the current global health crisis, we have adjusted the way in which we engage with the public, hence today's interview format. How has your campaign been impacted and what are you doing to connect with voters during times of social distancing?
2: Thank you very much. um, And uh, thank you very much for for having me on. Uh, I would say first and foremost that our campaign uh, from the beginning was really focused on reaching out to people and having in-face conversations. So you can imagine that this uh, situation has really created uh, uh, a challenge for us. But uh, that challenge has really uh, provided us with an opportunity to to reach out and find new ways to really connect with voters uh, in a more digital world, right? Uh, So we've really moved a lot of our operations to online, you know, Facebook Live and these kind of opportunities. Uh, We've been trying to do a lot of virtual meet and greets, so trying to get people together on a platform like Zoom or, you know, people will be FaceTiming and then just invite me in for a few minutes, that kind of situation. Um, Lots of phone calls. I've been making lots of phone calls the past couple of months um, to make up for it. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's always – every challenge brings opportunities. So, you know, it it really – Yes, absolutely. Very focused on really communicating with people um, and making sure they have access to the resources that they need. Um,
0: That's awesome. Uh, So who can vote for you? What are the boundaries of District 16?
2: Sure, absolutely. Uh, So District 16 is the southeast portion of the city, uh, minus the beaches. So it's kind of, you know, the the, uh, western side of the intercoastal Uh, to the river, and then the Southern Duval County line north to JTB is most of the district. And that kind of comes up a little bit in between uh, I-95 and the river uh, towards San Marco. It doesn't go all the way up there. Um, So it's a a pretty pretty sizable district. Um, You know, it was drawn many, many years ago, and the population of the city has blown up, uh, especially this part of the district and apartment buildings and all these other things down here. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's a big district. It's like 130,000 voters right now.
0: Wow. And so why do you want to be in the state legislature?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it's, uh, it, it, there are, are, are a litany of reasons uh, why I think it's very important to have people in the state legislature who are really focused on people-centered, you know, expert-informed policy, especially right now. I mean, you know, you have a lot of folks who are pushing forward with agendas to reopen, which oftentimes are not, necessarily informed by a whole bunch of healthcare professionals. And I think that's a really dangerous uh, place to be. It's a perfect example of why having people in office who are going to listen to experts is so is so, is so incredibly important. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the expert uh, is gonna know the exact answer of what's gonna serve, you know, constituents the best and what's gonna fit public policy the best, right? But it means uh, instead of just coming up with an idea in my head and saying, hey, this is a good idea, right? It actually means, talking with constituents, figuring out what they need, and then talking with experts to figure out, you know, how you make that all work, uh, work together. Um, and it's a collaborative, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real collaborative process. So um, uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome. Uh, well, typically democratic candidates have a hard time gaining traction in this district. What are you doing differently?
2: sure uh well uh, like i said again i'm really focused on on face to face you know presenting myself as as the genuine you know person who i believe myself to be you know that i'm i'm really in this uh to 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 serve the people and give the people of the district and not just people of the district but people who who have a rational head up you know on, on their shoulders uh when approaching public policy uh a champion in tallahassee because i think while there are certainly a growing number of legislators in Tallahassee, uh, who, who I have a similar approach, uh, folks like Anna Eskamani, for example, who I'm a huge, a huge fan of a huge fanboy for. I'm typically not a political, political fan of, of people, uh, in general, but I think she just does a really uh, kick butt job in serving her, serving her constituents. Um, uh, uh and so, you know, I, I just think it's really important in general to, um, uh, uh, really be approaching it from that perspective. Um, uh, absolutely. More, more than anything else. I
1: so. love that you mentioned Anna.
2: I'm <laughs> a big fan too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes.
2: Well, I, I, I just love it. It's, it's just been so demonstrative, especially during this crisis of what she, again, what she talked about, the person that she was trying to be on the campaign, or, you know, what she talked about being on the campaign is this person who's just really focused on serving the, on serving the people. And yeah, Paul, you know, yes, you're a member of this party and, 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 you know, you you certainly have a particular uh, uh, set of values, right. That, that are, that are perhaps left of center uh, uh, or decidedly left of center uh, for some of us. Um, uh, uh, But at the end of the day, she is so incredibly focused on making sure that her constituents have what they need to get by, that that's what shines through. And so you have, all sorts of people who wouldn't normally be supporting a Democrat be all about her because that's what they should be, right? Um, um, People who are really focused on their constituents, so. Absolutely.
1: Um, So how has your personal career prepared you for holding elected office?
2: Sure. Um, Well, that's a great question. Um, I would say uh, a couple of things. So I've spent a lot of time uh, working with nonprofit organizations on figuring out how they can do their job better. Um, uh, and a lot of that work revolves around helping them figure out how to better communicate with their stakeholders and kind of bring them into the process. And so not just the people who they serve, but also per, uh, potentially uh, community members and volunteers and donors, uh, uh, you know, perhaps public policy leaders. Uh, and so uh, uh, I, I think that's, that's really prepared me well for being open to to having perhaps some difficult conversations with people who are typically used to thinking they know best all the time, if that makes any sense, Um, but doing so in a way which is not uh, confrontational and not meant to make people feel stupid, but offering additional perspectives with real information, you know, and and perhaps uh, 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 in in, in a more... um, uh, assume goodwill, right? I'm, I'm a big fan of, of kind of approaching things from from a, a you know I'm, I'm going to assume goodwill um, in that and mm-hmm. in that in those initial interactions um, and really allow uh, 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 my feelings about an individual or or, or where things are going to go kind of to organically develop if that makes any sense. I've you know that it's one of the things that I, I kind of value that, that I, I I consider kind of a natural talent for myself is is this ability to kind of just you know settle it down for a second you know and just and just kind of give allow my brain its own kind of space to figure out whether or not um what i'm hearing about a certain person or about a certain perspective is actually correct like just kind of allow myself the space to to understand that um, and so i think approaching i think approaching uh especially legislative office in particular is really is really important um to have that kind of a mindset uh, because you're just gonna be working with people. The reality of our situation is that these are geographically defined districts right, and so at the end of the day you have to our system is designed designed to compromise that you have to talk to people you have to find consensus, and things start to break down when folks you know are so um, so completely set in their ways that they can't even have another conversation with someone, right? And that doesn't mean, for example, I'm a big supporter of raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, for example, and doing it pretty quickly. But I can understand, right, from a business owner's perspective, how raising it just in one year to $15 an hour, how could that, how that could have a significant economic impact, right? And so there, but the answer isn't either $15 an hour or no raise in minimum wage, right? There's, there's a way to find, you know, over the course of just a couple of years, right? You make a phased entry into it, perhaps there's some grant assistance program on the back end for small businesses, or, you know, there's, there's some, some way to support the transition to, to a place where um, people are actually living, you know, living, because, you know, what I've also, especially with small businesses, and not to get too off topic, but, you know, especially with small businesses, I think it's just reflective of, of the situation in general, you know, these are real people and they understand that their employees are real people. And they, and oftentimes they they really do care about their employees. And it's not this decision of like, well, I just don't, you know, I just need to make all the money I can. It's oftentimes pretty difficult business decisions that they have to make. And a lot of times they, and you're seeing that in this crisis, you're seeing a lot of small business owners who are just like basically losing everything and trying to keep their employees um, from losing everything. And, you know, that's, it's the reality of the situation, right? And so I just think that's a perfect example of where, you know you have a number of people who are caught in a really difficult position, and I think a good politician's role is to bring those people to the table and find an equitable solution instead of just kind of forcing forcing a particular path to where it ends up needing to go because in my opinion, you know on an issue like that we can't we can't continue to this can't continue to be in a sustainable economy if you have people who are making so little money that they can't that they are either forced on government benefits. Or they just can't afford they just can't afford the essentials of life. Um, that's just not not a place to be. So um, uh, that's just kind of my general approach, um, and, and I think I think that can really help. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it, yeah. So so I, I think I think being a nonprofit <laughs> consultant certainly is a big part of it. Sorry.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: <laughs> I apologize.
0: Good answer. No, it's um, a, it's really interesting topic too, and I, I think there's a lot we can say about that. But for the sake of brevity, we'll I know. <laughs> So you've talked about being a stay-at-home dad. Um, yes.
1: How do you manage or how do you plan to manage your work-life balance if elected?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, luckily my, uh, my youngest is four and she'll be uh, in VPK next year. So that'll take a little bit of, little bit of the load off uh, uh, when it comes to my uh, parental responsibilities. And my, my wife um, is an amazing partner. Uh, uh, and uh, is certainly up for up for the challenge of supporting, you know, of picking up the slack during the session and during these periods of time that I'll be away. Um, but I certainly plan on on being one of those legislators. Tallahassee's not that far, it's not so far away that I can't commute home on the weekends and really spend quality time with my family still, so um,
0: That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. Uh, your campaign emphasizes ethics and the need for getting money out of politics. Why is that a priority for you?
2: Uh, well, to me, it, it, so it, it kind of goes back to this idea of, of having uh, rational conversations where you can find consensus, right? And so I think when you when you have a lot of special interests, and I really try and make a distinction between lobbying and the money that comes along uh, oftentimes with it, because in my opinion, lobbying is, is about as democratic as you can get, right? You have a group of people that come together Think about you know on, on a particular issue and they hi- either hire somebody or one of them registers to be able to go out and talk about that issue to their um their elected officials in a more kind of official capacity and i think that's about it's you know been a huge part of our system nonprofits do it community groups do it it's not just a big business and so i want you know and the vilification of lobbying in general you know needs to be nuanced with you know it's the huge donations that come along with these slick words and so um, uh, uh, what I'm really focused on is ending the ability for politicians to have these ridiculous slush funds in the forms of, politi- of political committees that are oftentimes op- operating under obscure names that are difficult to understand. My opponent, my opponent has a political committee. that's called the it's called Conservative Solutions for Jacksonville. His um, Conservative Solutions for Jacksonville takes in donations from vaping and tobacco companies. By the way, um, not sure how that really fits with the branding of his of his political committee, but it is what it is. Um, but you know, these folks, it's not just my opponent, they have, you know, there's, this is a normal practice, and they raise 10 10, 15 $20,000 at a time from these huge companies, um, which, you know, in a campaign, were restricted to $1,000 per election per individual, right? And so what's the point of even having campaign finance? Uh, if you can, you know, campaign finance regulations, if you can just have a political committee and raise however much money you want, Right. And so I think a part of it is this kind of this, you know, return to sanity when it comes to uh, 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 actual campaign finance. Um, but a big part of it for me is that the influence that comes along with politicians chasing those big donations really impacts the debate on basically every, every issue of public policy. And so, while I have, a, you know, real particular interest in, you know, for example, public education, I'm a huge, huge uh, uh, fan and advocate of public education and making sure they have enough money. For example, um, uh, 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 those debates are really difficult to have when you have folks who stand to make a lot of money about from a decision going a particular way, dumping a lot of money uh, into accounts to make sure that that vote goes, you know, go the way that they wanted to go. Um, you see this all the time with big businesses like Florida power and light, for example. Um, this is how they get a lot of their business done in the state or AT&T, uh, is an, is another big, you know, they've been doing telecom has been doing this for decades. You know, we, I don't know if folks know, probably a lot of folks don't know Duval County. We have miles and miles of dark fiber under the ground right now that, that JEA installed in the late nineties, they were really ahead of the game with it, but then telecom got Tallahassee to pass a law to make it illegal for uh, municipal utilities to sell uh, internet, right? Why? (laughs) Right? Why? Why is that? Right? And so it's little things like that. Imagine what city we live in, we we would be in, right, if everybody had had access to high-speed internet for the past 20 years. Um, And so I just think there's real consequences there. And so making it making them conversations that are truly public policy focused is really important. And I, I think incentivizing, the converse, incentivizing conversations between politicians and their constituents over politicians and special interests is where we need to go. So that's a big, big driver of it for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people, that's just a really important issue, just leveling the playing field in politics. Yeah. Um, so what measures would you support to reduce the effects of climate change?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, So, I mean, obviously this is a huge, a huge issue for Jacksonville. Um, We're facing, you know, it's, it's being estimated to be the most expensive city on the East coast um, for to pay for mitigation efforts related to sea level rise, um, which are a direct result of of climate change. Uh, Our district in particular, district 16 in particular, gets hit big time by flooding already. Um, and it gets, uh, and it's getting continually worse. You know, we're right along the St. John's. We have all these little, you know, rivers and tributaries and, and, and streams that run through the district, um, off of the St. John's, and there's just massive flooding. Um, uh, and so I think, and I, I've actually had a couple of great conversations recently with, uh, folks from North Florida, North Florida Land Trust, and from the Riverkeeper, um, uh, and, and, uh, to kind of collect information and really kind of get their ideas as to what could be done um, and I really love this idea of, of investing heavily into natural into natural solutions for mitigation so restoring wetlands and, making, and and buying back you know basically purchasing out neighborhoods that are built in which we've already started to do by the way um, uh, after Irma. there were a couple of neighborhoods that the city bought out um, but really proactively trying to uh, what's called uh, a strategic retreat. Um, uh, uh, I think that's a very important measure from that from that standpoint. But I'm also a huge advocate of solar panels and really leaning into solar panel and battery storage technology. Uh, this state gets an insane amount of energy uh, uh, on it every single day, and uh, there's and we lose it. Uh, it you know it goes into plants, it bounces off of the ground, it bounces off of roofs, and we don't get any of that energy. And meanwhile, you know while JEA certainly is a leader. Um, and utility companies in, in utilizing solar that solar pal- that those solar panels are being built in huge solar farms out in the middle of nowhere right and the tra- the, the loss of energy and transmission um, over those lines w- from the solar panels to people 's houses is significant we 're talking about upwards of fifty percent um, and so while we 're living in an era where solar panel technology is getting, you know, is in, the amount of energy you're able to capture from the technologies is increasing at a, at a pretty exponential rate at this time, while the price is decreasing. Um, uh, 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 we should really be incentivizing that technology being put directly onto people's houses and to work on things like uh, uh, microgrids, uh, uh, microgrid technology uh, and uh, uh, solar co-ops. Uh, I think, you uh, the way Florida is set up in their pocket communities is, you know, we kind of have these pocketed, um, uh, communities in Florida the way that we've developed and it kind of actually sets us up perfect for these kind of solar co-ops that, uh, are used in the UK where we have just basically small solar, uh, uh, arrays, uh, in between a few communities and people actually then own those solar, uh, solar arrays, uh, through, you know, either their, through their HOAs or whatever we'd set it up in some, some way like that. Um, but there's all sorts of opportunities there to transition uh, heavily. I'm very much, very much uh, uh, in favor of blocking any sort of drilling that's happening in Florida or off coast. I think it's crazy for us to be exploring drilling in a state that's this close to the the water table. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And it's, in my opinion, it's just greed uh, that drives, that drives it. So we have the technology to, to not have to be doing this anymore. So.
0: Yeah, completely agree with that.
2: Yeah. Oh, and actually one more point. I'm sorry, one more point. And then and, 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 and in my district, if you look at a map, uh, 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 you'll see this huge undeveloped area um, called E-Town. Uh, and it is set to be developed over the next few decades, but it is a natural watershed. Uh, and we sit right on top of the aquifer and with sea level rise coming, it, it, we're basically facing a perfect storm when it comes to access to fresh water um, uh, with new development Sea level rise, which increases the salinity, right, and then and then getting rid of natural water uh, uh, places where where uh, uh, natural watershed. Um, and so, I'm a big believer in growth in, in growth management and making sure that we're really um, sticking to high to really high standards um, um, uh, with For growth sure. management and building the environment. So
0: and yeah, and also just you know when when you build inside the city as opposed to just tearing down natural, you know places, then, yep. you know, you, you increase the value of the, of the properties in that city. So. Yeah, uh,
2: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: With that.
1: Good point to meet. Um, So I haven't heard a lot of other candidates talk about home rule. Can sure. you explain it and why it's an important issue to you?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Um, I would say uh, 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 home rule in general uh, uh, really is this idea that a locality, that that every locality knows itself best. Uh, and we live in a, a very diverse and large country uh, with different flavors of life, right, as you move from city to city. Um, and what local control really, really is about is the city's ability or school, local school board's ability to make those kind of flavor of life decisions, if you will, on behalf of their um, on behalf of their constituents, on behalf of the people who live in that city, without the state preempting what that means, right? And now, all that's not always appropriate. I think there are certainly some places where the state and federal government absolutely need to play a heavy role, like, for example, guaranteeing uh, uh, civil rights, guaranteeing that people have access to a high quality education, right? Obviously, these are the kind of things where you need to make sure that you have a a a, a heavy handed, uh, uh, you know, justice, you know, some some sort of a justice oversight uh, uh, in terms of how these things are delivered. But when it comes to, for example, you know, the the density uh, uh, of a city or or where you want uh, this kind of 5G technology is a perfect is a perfect thing. Um, Or what we want to do with our schools, you know, uh, uh, how money should be spent from a sales from a sales tax or how much or whether or not we should be charging a sales tax. Um, there's a ban, you know. Last year, uh, last year there was a ban on on bans of plastic bags in the state legislature, right? And so they banned the ability for for cities to ban the use of plastic bags, right? Or on plastic straws too. Right? It's just like into this minutia that is just ridiculous, right? The state told I the, think they they ha- tried to pass a law that would have made it illegal to it would have it, they would have it was a ban on sunscreen bans. Um, and uh, on and there are certain uh, coral uh, uh, reefs that are uh, ex- that are extraordinarily sensitive to chemicals that can be found in some sunscreens and a lot of communities have started to try and respond to that uh, because they live you know they have a, a, a coral reef right off their coast they want to preserve it right um, and so I, I think I think it's just really unfortunate to be approaching to, to be doing that you saw that there was an attempt this um, this past cycle uh, on JEA to, to make it illegal for JEA to make, to make contributions to our city general fund, um, which was, which would have been crazy. It would have been instantly gotten rid of a 10th of our city's budget, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's in everything. There's, you know, trying to standardize the communications tax rate. Um, the communications tax is uh, a, a penny is usually pennies or a dollar something that you pay for your cell phone uh, when you live in Duval County. And that money goes uh, directly to the city to help pay for all sorts of stuff, including a lot of services for folks who don't have don't don't have enough money. So, um, it's just the unfortunate situation that we're in right now. Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for explaining that. <laughs> I think a yeah. lot of, a lot of people, you know, kind of don't understand the the nuance between like you know needing to step in versus like overstepping
2: oh yeah yeah i, I would say yeah like, like i said you know um I, I am not for uh you know for example a a police department you know deciding that they're not gonna arrest right white people that do bad things for example they're just saying, oh we're just not gonna do that anymore right that's like you know it's it, it, not that's not the way that, that's certainly not what i'm talking about when it comes to, to home rule I, I what i really mean is um the, this kind of how, how does your how does your community really look and feel um, you know how much are you going to put into parks and libraries, for example? The the, the state really um, messes on the, on around the edges where it, where it doesn't need to be, so doesn't help. That's for sure.
1: Good point. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, with all the children in the state attending their classes from home due to COVID-19 precautions. Um, there has been a large consensus among parents that teachers do not get paid enough for their work. Would you support a pay raise for teachers?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it was, it was, they tried real hard this year to get something and the legislature gave them something. Um, I, I think unfortunately it, uh, it did not address veterans teacher uh, or vet, veteran teachers and it was really focused on upping the pay of new teachers, which don't get me wrong, you know, it's it's fantastic to see anybody, get a, any teacher get a pay raise in the state. But the problem is that the way it's structured, now you're just chasing out folks who have been there for a long time. You're just making a bunch of teachers angry who have been working their butts off for so long, and you're not really helping them out um, at all. And so I think uh, 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 it's unfortunate how much we undervalue teachers in our society, and we really treat them as if it's just this kind of job um that doesn't that's not a very high skill job right? maybe or yeah well I mean not even you know it's yes it's just it's just it, people look at people don't consider it to be the high skill job that it is right and these are people who are like oftentimes have graduate degrees and like you know have spent a lot of time and energy and thought uh, like thinking about this job um you know it's all, oftentimes for a lot of these folks it's like all consuming it's like this is this is their life in every aspect of their life they're somehow a teacher um uh, uh, and so I just think it's really unfortunate and, you know, n- n- top it all off with the fact that that they are literally responsible for making sure that our future is well-educated and can kind of, you know, it's like there are significant consequences here. And it's just really unfortunate to me that we view these, uh, that we view teachers as if they're just kind of, you know, extra regular, you know, this is not a regular thing. You know, it's not, this is not just, you know, in, don't get me wrong. Accountants are very important too, right? But it's not just kind of sitting there and and doing some accounting work. It's like you are responsible for the future, you know. And and I think it's we should be compensating people um, uh, um in that vein, if that makes any sense. Um, they certainly don't deserve to be working it's second, sure. <laughs> third jobs. Like, yeah, it's like it's it's it, that makes me so incredibly sad when you have teachers you know, like some kid's favorite teacher, and then they work, you know, as a waiter on the weekends to just to make enough money, extra money. It's like, this. Is, it's just,
0: I, I definitely know teachers who have multiple jobs to get by. Uh, my aunt, for example, has been a teacher for 30 years, and she also has a, a part-time job working at the mall, you know, just to get by, and she likes that job. It's fun, but, you know, she, she deserves to be able to just have to work one job.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to work a second job, absolutely. But it's just like, you know, it just having to buy all your own supplies, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, so we're gonna not pay you enough, then require you to spend a bunch of extra money on supplies, which is like, I think on average, like, I think I saw a statistic that was on average, like $1,000 a year or $1,200 a year or something that you spend on it's like, just, so, yeah. It's, yeah, it's no good. It's no good. And, and it's not in the way that we approach budgeting i think in general in politics is just broken because it's really this kind of vacuum experience you know it's kind of like well we have this much amount of money and we have to distribute it in this kind of percentage and it's like this is not this is not how real life works so
0: well yeah <laughs> so if elected how would you increase job opportunities for your constituents That's
2: a great question um i'm a really big believer in empowering uh uh, uh people to uh to to start, to start small businesses, number one, and really sustain that, that level. Um, but I also, uh, things like expanding Medicaid um, uh, uh, and these kind of like eat around and these kind of like additional, also like raising the minimum wage and these kind of additional issues that come in um, uh, do end up, uh, statistically speaking, when you look at the data, studies from other states where, where this has happened, has a significant positive increase or uh, uh, impact on the economy overall. Um, and uh, and it's, it's in, with the minimum wage in particular, there's actually been a lot of studies on this that have shown that um, there, is a, there is typically an adjustment period um, uh, uh, at first for an economy to kind of figure out where, uh, how it's all gonna work. But once the, once the money starts flowing, um, uh, uh, there suddenly are more jobs available for people. And so I think, I think um, it's important to really focus on making sure that people have enough resources to, uh, to get by. Um, uh, uh, number one, and that, and if we have an economy that that reflects the reality um, on the ground for people that I, you know, so how do I say it? A lot of people like, people talk a big game about a free, about a free market, but the problem is that um, we live in a uh, half regulated, a half regulated market with the scales tipped towards, um, uh, tipped towards employers um, and uh, that unfortunately has consequences down the line for consumer spending. Um, and I don't want to get too too far into the weeds because I'm already like, yeah. But um, but uh, uh, I guess the, the, the short of the long is um, that we the more that we get uh, 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 you know things like uh, small business grants and uh, uh, startup loans um, and, and these sorts of things kind of available to folks that can certainly help. Um, I'm also a big believer in, in trying to really revitalize. Uh, uh, small, uh, small uh, farms and community agriculture and these sorts of things as well. It's not, you know, not a ton of jobs, but that's certainly a place as well. Um, uh, really making sure that we're attracting uh, modern uh, modern companies that focus perhaps on, on tech ventures um, is a big thing. Uh, and that kind of goes back to all sorts of other questions about, you know, availability of education, employees locally and that sort of thing. So along, it's a big job, it's a big,
0: it's almost big, like everything uh, in politics is
2: connected. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. More jobs, I'm a big believer that more jobs, that jobs naturally come, jobs, so how do I say it, companies will come to Jacksonville when it's an attractive place to be, right, but it's an attractive place to be if there's available jobs, and so it's a chicken or the egg sort of situation, um, but I do think you can kind of, you can kind of drastically increase that, the, the size of the circle, if you will, um, if we started investing into education in particular into into education and into our communities um, our communities that experience a lot of blight um, I think that would make a lot of impact
0: yeah well uh, what specific steps would you take to address inequalities facing women when it comes to reproductive health
2: yeah, I mean, I think it was really sad to see the step back that the legislature took this year. Um, I think, it, you know, a lot of people view, saw it as basically, how do I say it, um, with, a, with a more conservative Supreme Court now, a lot of f- people saw this as an opportunity to directly challenge um, the precedents uh, uh, in hopes that the court will uh, swing away from uh, Roe v. Wade and these other decisions that have really protected a woman's right to choose. Um, So that was really concerning to see. I I would like to see that law uh, uh, repealed, Um, absolutely. I think it's completely inappropriate, um, uh, in in my opinion, to require, to put minors in a situation where they may be having to talk to their abusers or, or, or to people who don't care about them or even know where they are. Um, to get, per, you know, to get permission for a procedure that needs to happen sooner rather than later. You know, this is like not a, you know, I, I think the whole, the whole conversation around it, I think is really screwed up um, from the conservative perspective in, in particular, because they're treating these women um, and girls in, in that situation um, as if they, you know, are just these uncaring, you know, it's like, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, it's very, it's a very depersonalized you know, view of the situation. And, you know, nobody wants to go through that procedure. And so if, when people want to go, need to go through that procedure, for whatever the reason, I think it needs to be a situation where they are absolutely protected and, and able to get, and able to do it safely, as safely as possible. Um, I mean, it can never be 100% safe, obviously, but, you know, that's why it's important to make it continue to, uh, 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 make sure that it is 100% legal and available to folks, um, so they're not putting themselves in dangerous situations. If nothing else, right? Um, you know, I think I think people really need to refocus on that. You know, it's regardless of your feelings on what's actually happening in that procedure, you have to understand that this is at the base at the base of this. It's about protecting women. You know, when when they need when they're making difficult choices. So because the choice is going to be made <laughs> regardless of the availability of 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 that of the, of safe places to do it. So, yeah. yeah.
1: really good point. Yeah. Um, so what kinds of policies would you pursue to promote social and racial justice in our community?
2: That's an excellent question. Um, I, am a big believer, again, I, I, I'm a big believer in helping people, um, uh, uh realize their, uh, uh, their personal talents and and helping them kind of bring those into reality in, in some way. And I think that's a big part of, so how do I say it? A lot of, a lot of ignorance when, uh, uh around, uh, around issues of race and ethnicity and, and nationality and these things, a lot of it has to do with just not having, not knowing people, not having personal connections to or value val valuing, um, those individuals, um, uh, Uh, And so I'm a big believer in in providing as many spaces as possible to connect those people together and to show off, right, that, uh, the fact that the diversity of talent um, across uh, cultures and communities and ethnicities and all this, right, Um, just because you're from, you know, the United States doesn't mean that you're great at working at cars and just, you know, because you're from, you know what I mean, Mexico, you're, you know, a great at painting or whatever. It's like like these things are all. You know, people are good at these things across cultures, and so I'm a big believer in those creating spaces for people to really connect on, um, on interest and talent and these, on those sorts of things, um, and natural uh, uh, interest in those sorts of things. Um, uh, but then also really making sure that uh, we're providing spaces in our, in our public education system and, uh, you know, on uh, TV and, and, you know, through city programming and these other things Really making sure that we're highlighting the fact that there are members of our community that are members of our communities that are still very much um, living in a, living in places uh, uh, living in fear of their neighbor, um, for lack of a better you know for, for lack of a better way to say it. Uh, I mean, what just happened in Georgia this past week is a prime example. You know, um, if if that doesn't if, if that doesn't help a lot of uh, white folks in particular understand the kind of pressures that um some black that a lot of black people are living under i am not quite sure what will because you know this is a guy who's just living his life you know i mean i can't tell you i've i've peeked in now now there are reports that you know this all started because he was peeking into some house that was being built right some new house new construction house right um this is something i've done a bajillion times you know Peeked into the house being built because it's interesting to look at, you know, envision myself being in there. Oh, what's this gonna look like, right? And so I just think it's really unfortunate, you know, that we're still living in a time when people struggle to realize um, the danger that a lot of their fellow citizens are in um, on a daily basis than just from from random people, right? Um, So I I think that has a lot to do with it. I'm, I'm a big believer that government should be proactively having these conversations and it shouldn't just be on, you know, an NGO or, or you know, some private citizen or whatever to be doing this. I, I don't, it, it's 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 weird to me in this country that we've created such a, such a barrier between government and people, you know, and that's just not, it's inconsistent with, with how the system was supposed to be designed. So I know that, that sort of answers the question. I think in public schools, I'm a big advocate for making sure that our curriculum in public schools really, uh, uh, really address the historical inequities that we, that exist in our society i mean here in florida we have a very very long and complicated history um, of uh, uh uh treating uh minorities uh not so well um in the indigenous uh, as well um definitely the indigenous but that's that's just that's absolutely not just a forward thing um so yeah i you know and so i i would be very supportive as well of, of so and i'm sorry for going a little long on this but it is it is really important to me so the um, the uh, 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 there's a lot of talk about how the curric- how public school curriculum so how do i say it you have a lot of really you have a really a lot of really great schools that are being ideas that are coming up in in organizations like kip for example if people are familiar with with schools like KIPP. Um, they do a lot of great work but they're organized for those because who they're aren't, trying...
0: could you for those who aren't familiar
2: oh okay i'm sorry yeah, Kip is a. I'm sorry. Yes, Kip is a. Kip is a charter school. Uh, they're a network of charter schools from across the country that that serve historic that that uh, are based in and serve uh, historically underserved communities. Um, uh, almost always, uh, almost always, uh, black communities in uh, in in the United States. Some some Hispanic communities, but really focused on black communities. Um, and a big reason why they were organized is because they felt like the public school systems. Uh, uh, public school systems across the country, uh, just in general are not doing a good job of serving um, uh, those students in particular, especially b- black students in low and high poverty areas in particular is what they're really focused on. Um, and uh, uh, they do fantastic work, but they've been doing it for so long and there's been very little change to the actual way the curriculum is designed and run. And so I would really love to see you know, a, a focus on, instead of having the separate systems, really working hard at integrating those lessons um, into the public school system. It's a place that's been lost. Uh, it's, it's a real, you know, we have the charter schools are started to try and, they're learn these lessons and then bring them into the public school system. And that's just been lost. You have a public school system. That's, you know, keeps on getting more and more and more, you know, crunched down and you have a charter school system, which is being encouraged to grow. Then there's no crossover right now. So, okay. Anyways, I'm sorry. That's a, yes. Again, everything is connected. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, In a survey for Ballotpedia, you said the function of a state legislator is to understand and advocate for their constituents, not just the state legislator's own opinions. Yeah. What are some of the issues your constituents are concerned about?
2: Well, pre-coronavirus, the issues that we really uncovered that were important to folks were public education and flooding in the district. Those were two big ones. And then growth management as well. So like I was talking about before these, um, there's uh, a lot of kind of pocketed little forest preserves and little areas in, in Mandarin in between these communities. And they're all starting to get filled in by developers. And that's making people very upset. And then the E-Town area obviously as well um, is an area. So those are the three areas that were kind of a major concern uh, pre-coronavirus. Now we're, in, now we're in an environment where I've had so many phone calls with people who were who have lost their job having you know have not been able to get the the uh, re-employment assistance money right yet you know were struggling to have food you know really difficult phone calls I mean it's like gosh I was it's been a really hard couple months listening to those calls and having you know I can I I have made some contacts at um DEO that I trying and forward and these other sorts of things but it's not because I'm not a state legislator yet my level of influence as a private citizen is only so much, you know, and so it, it there are some really difficult phone calls to have, but we, um, we try really hard. So I think that's going to, so I think that's going to continue to be a big issue is, is the reemployment assistance system in general, um, and really bringing some real comprehensive reform to that. That means everything from fixing everything, including fixing the website Figuring out how people get actually get paid in a better fashion, increasing the rate to $275 a week—is just ridiculous in a state like Florida. Um, depending on where you're living, but definitely most places in Florida, it's certainly not, certainly not enough. Um, uh, so, so that that's probably going to be a big issue. Expanding Medicaid is probably going to is probably going to end up being a pretty, you know, pretty top line issue uh, when it wasn't necessarily before. It was an important issue to me, but for people in the district, not necessarily the most important issue. For people in the district um, up prior to this, but um, getting people back to work, making sure small businesses have uh, the capital they need to re to reemploy uh, people um, is a big one here. Lots of small business owners in the district, so yeah. Yeah,
1: COVID nineteen certainly did um, unearth a lot of issues that the majority of us weren't necessarily aware of or conscious of. Yeah. But
2: yeah. Thing. I mean the, the, the way small businesses get access to capital in this country I think really you know it's sh- shown a pretty big light on that um, you know we made fifty thousand fifty million dollars available for thirty eight thousand applications for small businesses and then a couple weeks later you know gave out five hundred and forty million dollars to a few major corporations you know that could have been put on hold right this wasn't something that had to happen um, yeah. so anyways So,
1: um are there any issues where you and your constituents might disagree on what should be done, and how would you handle that? Um, would you vote against your party if the majority of your constituents wanted it?
2: Those are good questions. Um, I can see the conversation around the minimum wage being a long and difficult one with some with some portions of my constituency, um, for sure. Um, I could see. Uh, I mean, I could see issues around how much this, how much the state should be spending on social, safe, as as my friend likes to call it, social trampoline spending. Which I really like that phrase instead of social safety net because that's reflective of what it's supposed to be. Um, um, but for the most part, I, I can't think of issues where it's just going to be you know, completely disagree. uh, Completely disagree. I mean, even on the minimum wage, it's you'll find a lot of people who will admit that it's really low, but they just don't want they're afraid that if it increases too fast, it's gonna throw prices off and blah, blah, blah. Right. So it's trying to figure out how to really get around those 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 fears. But that's a that's a really that's a really good question. I can't, you know it's difficult for me to think of something that I couldn't bring some a lot of people along on. Uh, with this kind of stuff, I think I think I'm I'm, I'm pretty gung ho about about public about public schools and really funding public schools. And so I could see that as being a point of contention with a, with some constituents. Um, but again, through conversation and them understanding, I'm not attacking, you know, schools that are doing a good job. I'm making sure that the system is the system is designed well to serve all students um, the best possible. Um, and that means a fully funded public education system. So I don't know I mean that's that's a great question and when it comes to voting against my party um, again I mean the the Democrats the, the kind of votes that I've seen the Democrats in the house take um, have are, are pretty i mean they have there hasn't been an issue where there's not really been an issue where I've been on the opposite side of you know on not not that i' not that I can think of in terms of votes that they've taken um I would say, for if if my constituents, if a majority of my constituents thought differently than my party, um, it would be issue to issue. Um, it would it would really be issue to issue. I mean, that's that's the best way I can answer it. But I, I it's difficult. It's it's difficult for me to think of an issue that that would be, you know what I mean? I, I don't. I, it's it's hard for me to think of one. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: That's fine. Well, uh, so now we want to actually move over to the rapid fire portion of the interview. So we have seven questions for you and you'll have one minute to answer all of that. So we have to be very concise here.
2: Yes, I will. I promise.
0: (laughs) Okay. Take it away, (laughs) Lene. Okay. Are you ready?
2: Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready.
0: Okay.
1: Where do you get your news?
2: Oh, geez. Uh, everywhere.
1: (laughs) 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 What is something that people might be surprised to find out about you?
2: Uh, I play drums and and used to homebrew beer.
1: Very cool. Um, What's Jacksonville's best asset?
2: Uh, I think their parks and nature.
1: Who's your favorite superhero? (sighs) Uh,
2: Green Lantern.
1: (laughs) What's the one thing you can't stand?
2: uh a a, refu- a a refusal to recognize that you may in fact be wrong that's a good one
1: um who's an elected official that you admire besides
0: Anna
2: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah I'll go besides with Anna
0: who the... <laughs> <laughs> else besides her because you already mentioned her
2: I know okay uh I'll say um uh, I like Tracy Davis a lot she's pretty cool people's so okay. yeah absolutely totally.
0: I'd say you did that in about a minute. I didn't actually time it, but I mean, that's probably a minute. You did that pretty quickly. (laughs) I think it
2: was. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Okay. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you so much for talking with us today. We really appreciate your time.
2: Absolutely. Thank Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it.